The scripture for today's sermon comes from John 17, 13 through 20. This, the word of God speaks to us. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I have consecrated myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. This is God's word to us. Thank you, Tally. And happy birthday, belated. Uh, My name is David Adair. I'm one of the pastors here at Frontline in Edmond. Um, And we, on Sundays together, have begun in 2024 to go through our mission as a church. Uh, If you're new, if you've been here these last several weeks, we hope that going through the mission has been like an introduction on one hand, but also an invitation on the other that you would know our heart as a church. If, if you've been around for a while, especially if you're a member of the church, we hope this series is a reminder, uh, a refresher, but also more than that, uh, an opportunity for all of us to recommit together to, to live out our mission as a church. And so um, we've, we've talked about multiplying gospel communities We've talked about loving God. We've, we've talked about loving people. All part of our mission to multiply gospel communities that love God, love people. And today we're going to talk about the final aspect of our mission, which is to push back darkness. What does it mean to be a church that pushes back darkness? What does it look like to push back darkness? What do we need to hold true to, to be a people who push back darkness I think this text that Talia read is really going to help us this morning with that. And so let me pray for you, let me pray for me, and then we'll dive in together. Heavenly Father, with your word before us, we ask that we would hear your voice, Spirit of God. I'm aware in my my own life and in the lives of my friends in this room that we are inundated with voices, voices from all these different directions telling us what's true and what's good and what's right and what we need to do and what we need to, to believe and what we need to treasure. And, and louder than any most often in our life can be our own voice in our own head and heart. And in the midst of all these voices, we pray, Spirit of God, that you would help us be present in this moment and hear your voice above all else. That you would quiet every other voice that might speak to us in this moment, and we would hear truth of God in Scripture. And that you would help me, in a real way, just help my friends see the beauty of who who Jesus is, that we would see that together, and that our hearts um, would respond in worship. We pray all this, Jesus, in your name, and God's people said, so this, this passage that we read, beginning in chapter 17 of the Gospel of John, what I want to do just to kick us off is actually to invite us back to the very beginning of this book, the Gospel of John. The author of this 
this book in the Bible, John, um, he, he was a best friend to Jesus. If you read all the gospel accounts, the different historical accounts of the life of Jesus, you get the sense, and especially this firsthand account, that John and Jesus were, were best of friends. And John begins his telling of the life and the ministry of Jesus with these words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The light, Jesus, the word of God, truth, power, holiness, the very presence of God. He is the, the true light of the world and he has shined into the world and the darkness of the world has not, will not, cannot overcome the light, Jesus Christ. And this is at the core of what Christians believe about Jesus. He is not intimidated or overwhelmed by the darkness of the world. That he's not anxious or unsure when he encounters the darkness in our own hearts. That Jesus isn't scared of the darkness. In fact, we see that darkness flees from Jesus just like light always flees from darkness. Darkness has no power in comparison to him. And dealing with darkness, shining a light into the darkness, is at the very core of the mission of Jesus. So that leads us to this passage, John 17. It's known as the high priestly prayer. In, in this passage, it's a, a recording and a telling of Jesus in a precious moment. He's at a final dinner, the last supper, surrounded by his closest friends and followers. In this passage in particular, what Jesus is doing is he's praying to the Heavenly Father things that are central to his heart regarding these closest friends and followers. John 13 through 17 is known as the farewell discourse. And the things here that are, are captured in John's gospel are things that are central to the heart of Jesus. And this prayer that he wanted to offer to the Heavenly Father for his friends and, and closest disciples to hear prayers for them. He's not just praying for them, but he's also praying for us. That's plain here in verse 20. Jesus prays, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. We're a Christian this morning. That's you and I. Jesus in this moment is praying for us. And Jesus prays here in verse 8, something that's very central, foundational for us to understand regarding the mission of the church, the mission for our lives if we're Christians. Verse 18, Jesus prays to the Heavenly Father, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So Jesus' mission to push back darkness is also the followers of Jesus, Christians, his disciples, it's our mission as well. His mission to be sent into the world is a light. Jesus is praying to the Heavenly Father. He is now their mission also to be sent into the world as a light. Now, we need to say that, that just Jesus uniquely accomplished what only Jesus can do. 
Only Jesus is the Son of God. Only Jesus lived a perfect life. Only Jesus could die a sacrificial death to redeem the world. Only Jesus could save. Only Jesus can give eternal life. But this is what we're being invited to here. Not that we are many messiahs or saviors ourselves, but we're being commissioned, sent into the world as followers of Jesus to carry his same heart for the world and and to do good works and to proclaim truth like he did and to love the world and share who he is and what he's accomplished. See, before Jesus goes to the cross, this final night with his closest friends, one of the central priorities that he prays is, just like you, God the Father, have sent me to push back darkness, I'm sending these to push back darkness. must be important to him if this is on this final night, something he's choosing to pray for his disciples. But, But what I saw anew this week that blew me away is that it doesn't just stop here. If you have your Bible, flip forward one page and look at John chapter 20. I'm going to read in verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews... Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. So this is the evening of the first Easter Sunday. And, and some of the disciples have gotten word that the tomb is empty. A few of them actually ran and, and saw it for themselves. And so Easter Sunday is coming to a close. This first Easter Sunday, it's late in the evening, and the disciples are feeling like a cocktail of different things. Right? They're confused. They're unsure. There's a bit of excitement and hope that's brimming. They're certainly freaked out. But more than anything, they're scared for their lives Their Messiah, their teacher, their friend has just been murdered three days earlier and they're scared of of the same people that led Jesus to the cross and so they're locked in a room in fear and who enters that room and does what he always does? Jesus shows up to push back the darkness of their fear. And he begins with four words, peace be with you. But then he says something and if we didn't know the story, we would rightly ask like, what would he say? The resurrected Son of God, the Savior of the world, for the first time is is sharing a message with those who are his closest friends and closest followers. So surely he's going to give some new insight to the meaning of the resurrection or, or simply just shed light onto what he's been up to for the last three days. But what blows me away and what should strike our hearts anew is that he doesn't say anything new. He says something that he's already said. He doubles down. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. One of the things that Jesus insisted on praying the night before the cross and the first message to his disciples after the resurrection, hey, as I was sent to push back darkness, you were being sent to push back darkness. It seems really important to Jesus that his his followers would understand and receive that message. Missionary, pastor, author, Leslie Newbegin, he wrote this in a book. He said, there is no participation in Christ 
without participation in his mission to the world. That our mission to push back darkness is not something for just some people who follow Jesus. It's not a mission for some people who move overseas or take international trips. It's not just something that people who work for a church do, or it's not something that we just sign up to do every now and then, although mission can look like all of those things. Being sent into the world is a mission for every person who believes in Jesus and follows him as Lord and Savior. It's central to the mission of us together as a church and and all of us individually. And so today, I want to explore, we're not going to talk about everything that it means to push back darkness, but I do want to talk about three things that will help shed light as to what it means to push back darkness as a church. And the first thing that I'd like us to see in this passage is that pushing back darkness means being in the world, but not of the world. Pushing back darkness means that we're called to be in the world, to really live in the world, but, but at the same time be distinct, be different, not be of the world. John seventeen fifteen. again, Jesus prays, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself so that they may, they also may be sanctified in truth. I had a dear friend in high school named Andy. And Andy and I went to high school together, and then we spent the first couple years in college together, and then he transferred to a school um, on the East Coast, and we, we stayed in touch, though. And Andy joined the Navy, and we stayed in touch through that, and as he was a, uh, an officer on a ship, and, and it's just a precious relationship. It's one of those relationships where you don't see each other very often, but when you do see each other, you just pick right up where you left off. And about 13 years ago, Andy's wife uh, wanted our families to get together. We had begun to have children, and, and uh, she just wanted us to reconnect. And so she uh, did the math and, and found that there was a city that was halfway between where they lived in Virginia and where we live here in Oak, Edmond, Oklahoma. And uh, it just so happened that that city was a community in South Kentucky. It was like an hour, an hour and a half north of Nashville. And so we rented this farmhouse. It was beautiful. And we just spent a long weekend having fun together as families and and enjoying one another. And what was unexpected, though, about that trip is that it just so happened that that randomly picked city halfway between Virginia and Edmond was an Amish community. It was an experience. The roads were congested. There was traffic, but it was a horse and a buggy. Right? There was, like a grocery store to go to, but it wasn't really a grocery store. It was an Amish bakery. The selection was delicious, but limited, right? And there was entertainment to go experience when you headed into town, but it was a baseball game played by girls with bonnets and dresses down to their ankles and little boys who looked like little hipsters, like many members of Mumford and Sons. They had suspenders and flat-billed hats and slacks, right? And there was like a lot that was really admirable as we interacted with that community. They, they cared for one another. It was obvious. They worked really hard. It was obvious. They took their beliefs serious. It was obvious. 
But then there was also something that was undeniable that there was a drawbridge up in a real way, that there were walls between that community and the rest of the world. How they interpreted Jesus' commands that they not be of the world meant that there was a, a distinct distance they created from, with themselves from the rest of the world. And even as I've preached today, I, I've realized that, you know, I, I, even heading into the Sunday morning, I thought, well, that's not our temptation as a church. That's not my temptation. But the more I've preached this, I've realized that that instinct is probably closer to us than we realize. As we gather in community groups or as families or here on a Sunday, um, unintentionally, there might be a lot of people who are uninvited. In the name of not being of the world, we might focus on a community of faith in a way that's unhospitable to a lot of people who need to hear the hope that we carry in our hearts. But there is other dangers to us as well. On the other hand, there are people who claim to follow Jesus who live in such a way that in the world means that there's no difference between the way that they live and people who aren't people of faith. And in a weird way, I think Christians can, can think that we can make Jesus attractive and following Jesus attractive by having a message that in some ways says, hey, I'm just like you. And in, in, in important ways, that's true. If I'm a person who follows Jesus and there's somebody who doesn't follow Jesus, that doesn't mean that I'm better than them. I'm just like you. That doesn't mean that I'm smarter or wiser than them. I'm, I'm just like anybody who doesn't have faith. The only difference is I've received a gift. I've, I've had my eyes open to grace that God has saved me and that invitation is for them. But there is a way that we can be wholly unhelpful as people who follow Jesus, living in the world, where we live then of the world, and we might try to share our faith with somebody who's not a believer, and they can look at our lives and say, I don't know what difference it would make to follow Jesus because you're just like me in ways that, like, you're afraid of death just like me. You experience suffering and hardship just like I experience suffering and hardship and, and your reaction is just like mine. Your marriage looks just like mine. You raise your kids just like I do. You work just like I do. You value things just like I. What difference would it make to put my faith in Jesus? We're just the same. And that's deeply confusing to people who aren't Christians. See, pushing back darkness by being in the world but not of the world isn't seclusion of our faith on one hand, and it's certainly not a secularization of our faith on the other. Jesus doesn't call us to some middle road. He calls us to a higher road in this prayer. That Jesus' call to, to mission is being sent into the world, loving the world like he does, but as we're sent, we're living differently in a world that, that glorifies who he is. In essence, what Jesus is praying here is, is holiness. What he's praying for us is that we would be sanctified. Quite literally, his prayer that we would be sent is framed by, by a prayer that we would be sanctified before and after. Look at verse 17. Jesus prays, sanctify them in the truth. 
Your word is truth. Then he prays that we would be sent into the world. And then in verse 19, he circles back and and prays, and for their sake I consecrate myself that what? They also may be sanctified in truth. Jesus' prayer for us to be sent into the world is surrounded with a prayer that we would be sanctified. What does that mean? Sanctification is the act of setting something apart for a special purpose. Something that's distinguished, something that has a, a, a glorious calling. In Scripture, days are described as being sanctified. The Sabbath is sanctified, set aside for a holy purpose. Mount Sinai places can be described as sanctified, set aside for a special purpose. Jesus himself is said to be sanctified, set apart by God for some special glorious purpose. Of course, Jesus is is sanctified. Who else, what else is more set apart for a greater, special, glorious purpose than the Son of God sent from heaven to live for us, to die for us, to rise for us, that we may have eternal life in him? But what does this mean for us? Well, here in verse 19, Jesus says that he sanctified himself so that we would be sanctified. I think about it in terms of like a vessel, right? I'm kept somewhere. Jesus was set apart for a special purpose. And and for those of us who love him, follow him, believe on him as Savior and Lord, that we're in Christ. And so as he's set apart for a special purpose, of course, then we are set apart for that special purpose with him. And according to what the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, that Jesus himself is our sanctification, meaning that, that sanctification is something that's definitive. It's been done for us, not because of something that we work out, but because of who Christ Jesus is. That we're united in him, so we're set apart like him, and our lives are held in Christ so sanctification means something beautiful that, that our defining reality, if we are followers of Jesus, is no longer our past, it's Christ's past. That our defining reality regarding our lives is, is not our holiness, meaning like what we can do in our own strength, it's, it's gift righteousness, his holiness that, that we receive because we're in him. But more than that, like the hope that we have in this moment is that we don't live in despair when we realize that, that we fall short and we have sin in our life. But the promise of Scripture is that we have an ongoing work of the Holy Spirit who is every day working to conform us into the image of Jesus. So if we're living a life that looks like the rest of the world, what we're experiencing is an identity crisis in a real way. If we're a Christian who's struggling not to, to, to just look like everybody else in the world, we've forgotten who we are in Christ Jesus, that he has been sanctified, he's set apart, he's a light in the darkness, and we're in him. That just like Christ, that, that we're a dead person who's been brought back to life, that we're now dead to sin. And yes, we struggle with sin, but it no longer has rule over us. So Christ's prayer, first and foremost, for our mission, what frames it called a mission, is a prayer for our holiness, for our sanctification. 
And ironically, the thing that we might be tempted to lay down to, to, to seem relevant or attractive to people far from Jesus is the very thing that Christ is calling us to live out so that we would be a light that shines in the darkness. Jackie Hill Perry wrote a book called Holier Than Thou, and, and she writes about holiness. It said, holiness and goodness should never be determined by the whims, wishes, and standards of created things or even a whole culture especially when that culture's ideas are so easily influenced by the deceitful hearts within it, as well as its overall mutability, taking different shapes and conformity to its era. God defines God. She's super smart. (laughs) Meaning that like so often what culture names as good and right and just and holy, that's driftwood. That's not anchored in anything, and it changes with with seasons and trends and perspectives and new thoughts and ideas. And and what Jesus is saying in, in in his prayer for our sanctification is, look, you can be rooted in the eternal truth of what's good and right. That truth of of what's really holy and and perfectly made known to us in Christ Jesus shines into your life, and then that is reflected into the world around you. A rock-solid anchor of light, Christ Jesus. So what the world thinks is good is always changing, but our call on mission is to, to, to share the eternal, unchanging goodness of the love of God. And that holiness doesn't create us uh, create in us some cold distance that separates for us from the world where we create a great divide out of a, a self-righteousness or a fear or a sort of self-preservation. But actually, we, we look a lot like Jesus and that our holiness leads us towards those who are hurting, who are here in darkness, who are here in grief, who are here in shame. And that we, empowered by the Holy Spirit, we live lives loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, gentle, faithful, and self-controlled. And a life like that shines a warm light that doesn't cause people to look at us as saviors, but invites them to lift their eyes and experience the salvation we have in Christ Jesus. See, pushing back darkness doesn't start with activities that we do, like we so often think. It first starts with who God is and who he has made us to be in him. The second thing that I want us to see regarding pushing back darkness is that pushing back darkness means that we should expect resistance in our mission as a church. Verse 14, Jesus prays, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I did not ask that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. I suspect that this isn't like a a life verse for many of us. It's probably not like on a coffee mug or like on on a poster with calligraphy hanging in our bathroom, right? But it's for our good. It's for our good. Pushing back darkness in the world often leads to being hated by a world that loves darkness. That was true of Jesus. The only perfect person to ever live was crucified on a cross. Rejected by the world. It was true of the early church. I've got some friends that just went to Italy. I've got some friends that are actually planning on going to Italy. And if you're going to go to Italy, you've got to go see the Colosseum. 
But I, I actually read from historians this year that many historians believe the very reason we can visit the Colosseum, why that, that building material wasn't plundered and used for other projects after it fell out of use, was because people of influence in Italy and in the Roman Empire who, who came to power actually preserved it to say, hey, this is actually a precious place because the, the blood of hundreds and thousands of Christians was spilled here. We need to remember in the 17th century, it was actually used as a church because of that. And that's not just ancient history. This is true of Christians in most places around the world today. Today, more than 360 million Christians suffer high levels of persecution and discrimination for their faith. And what I learned this week that, that struck me is that in 1993... There were four countries in the world, or excuse me, 40. There were 40 countries in the world in 1993 that were identified as countries where extreme persecution occurred in the life of a Christian. And then now, in 2024, that number has nearly doubled. There are now 76 countries on earth where a Christian can experience regularly extreme persecution because of their faith in Jesus. And thank God that's not our reality here in Edmund or Guthrie or Jones or Luther, that we're free to worship. But it's easy to think that the more we are like Jesus, the more people will like us. If I can just love like Jesus, if I, my life looks more and more like a life that's being conformed to the image of Jesus, then more and more people are going to love me and love what I have to say, and love me in their life. And this isn't always the case. You know, out on our monument sign by the street, it says that Frontline is a church for the city. And that means that we care for our city. That means we're committed to, to love our city in every way we can and speak truth to our city and fight for the good of our city. But that does not mean that everyone in the city will love us or like what we stand for. And if we push back darkness, we, we shouldn't be surprised. Actually, we should expect that darkness is going to push back on us. And this message is clear throughout Scripture Scripture says, hey, don't be surprised. The Apostle Paul puts it the most concisely in 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, when he's writing to the young pastor Timothy, Paul says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be loved by everyone. <laughs> will experience blessing and never have hardship. No. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Paul wrote these words in prison, in a, a gnarly, dark, cold, intense torture of a prison, isolated and alone. And he wrote these words knowing, discerning that his martyrdom, his death because of his faith was, was imminent. It was days away. And he goes on to write in this letter, 2 Timothy, to this young pastor, and he talks about an account where he'd been abandoned. Everybody that was with him had left him, and he was standing 
on trial because of his faith and his missionary work. And the whole power of the Roman Empire is proclaiming judgment on him. And so you just imagine the picture, Paul alone, weary from all of his his work for the kingdom of God. And the power of all of Rome is proclaiming a judgment on him. And it seems like on the surface that no one in the world would have been more alone in that moment than the Apostle Paul. And yet this is what he writes to young Timothy about that moment in 2 Timothy 4.17. He says, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. That even though he maybe looked alone, he was not alone. That the very... Son of God, Savior, was with him by the power of the Holy Spirit and had wrapped his arms around Paul and was holding him up and saying, hey, this isn't for nothing. You're proclaiming light into the darkness. Even in the midst of the whole world telling you, you need to move, you're wrong. You stand firm and you say, no, you move, I'm right. Truth is truth, Jesus is Lord. Take my life, I win, I get to be with him. It's the truth Paul was standing on. And so I, if you're like me, I mean, it's, it plays out so differently in 2024 in Edmond. Like, uh, at this moment in history, thank God, like my, my life is not on the line if I stand here and preach the gospel. But what I feel is that there's like these relationships in my life that feel like they're phone calls. And somebody on the other line is, is constantly on the verge of hanging up on me. Not because I'm going to say something rude or mean-spirited. Not because I don't deeply love them. But if I dare say something that they don't agree with or they don't believe in, that like hitting that red button and ending the call, they're ready and willing at any moment to end that relationship and to withdraw. And some of us feel that pain as parents. Some of us feel that that tension as kids with our parents, or we have friends that we've walked with for a long time, and we're lovingly, graciously, not in a self-righteous way, but in a way where we're just being ourselves in Christ Jesus, or sharing the hope that we have in us, and, and that is acting as light, pushing back darkness, and we feel in the dynamic of those relationships, these people pushing back on us and withdrawing, and even sometimes explicitly saying, hey, you can't talk about Jesus or, or your faith or any of that if you want me in your life. And that's our reality of persecution and rejection. And this verse is not just for Paul, but it's a reality for us. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. That when we feel afraid or abandoned, that we can stand in peace, know that, that God said this would happen. He's not surprised, and yet we're not alone. And the, the assurance we can have in that moment is that as light reflects in our life and, and shines forth through our love and our words and what we hold true and treasure that the Lord is standing by us and strengthening us. Which leads to the, the, the third and final thing. Pushing back darkness is rooted in joy. Verse 13, Jesus prays to the Heavenly Father. But now I am coming to you, 
And these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. But now I'm coming to you, Heavenly Father, and the things that I I speak in the world, these things that I'm praying right now, this commission that I'm giving my dearest friends and followers and those who are going to believe because of their word, I'm praying these things that they would be sanctified and they would be sent out to be a light in the darkness. Why? That they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. No one desires joy for you more than Jesus. No one is fighting for your joy. No one is more serious about your joy than Jesus is serious about your joy. And pushing back darkness and joining him in his mission is not at odds with our joy. In fact, Christians who are the most joyless and bored are the ones who have left mission out of our lives. And being a part of pushing back darkness is to experience the very joy of Jesus. God is not opposed to our joy. The mission to push back darkness isn't a hurdle to our happiness, but it's actually a mission in which God meets us and strengthens us and builds in us a formidable joy. Look at what the author of Hebrews says about Jesus and his work. Hebrews Chapter 12, verse 2, the author writes, Looking to Jesus, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So the, the horror and the suffering that Jesus experienced at his passion on the cross, the the relational suffering of being rejected by his friends, the physical suffering of, of being whipped and beaten and punched and having his beard torn out and mocked, the shame of being stripped naked in front of his closest loved ones in a, in a city to mock and see, the spiritual suffering that he endured of, of having the very weight of the sins of the world put on his shoulders on that cross and paying that price so that we don't have to when we're in him. All of that, the author of Hebrews is saying, what was in Jesus' heart when he walked that out was joy. He did that all for joy. He did that all to, to honor his heavenly father and he did that Not just for our joy, but the joy of of living out the mission of God. And what Jesus is praying is that we would know that joy. In the midst of doing things that are even hard to push back darkness, what an honor, what a purpose, what a fulfillment that, that we have to walk out the mission that he's called us to. So in closing... I just have two prayer, prayers and hopes for us as a church. Luke 24, 19 says that the Father sent Jesus mighty in word and deed. And you see this all through the Gospels. He, he preached truth. 
He shared good news about the kingdom of God. And then he did good things for the compassion and mercy of people. They go together. They don't get pulled apart. That To be people who push back darkness means that we're people of word and deed. That's how we're sent, that we proclaim good news about God and we do good things for the glory of God. My friend Andrew Burkhart, the pastor of Frontline South, says pushing back darkness comes down to two things. It's gospel proclamation. You tell good news about Jesus. It's kingdom demonstration. When you see things that ought not be, you move towards them to shine the light of God. When people are hungry, you feed them. When people are hurting, you comfort them. When people are lacking, you provide for them. So I pray that 2024 for us as a church would be a year where we grow more than ever to proclaim the gospel and to demonstrate the kingdom. And we're going to take time and and be resourced in more ways than we probably ever have before to grow in what that looks like. But I also just want to invite us to not be overly complicated. That might just look like when the Holy Spirit puts a friend on your heart that you know doesn't yet believe in Jesus, that yeah, you call him and you say, hey, I was thinking about you. Are you doing okay? Um, I just got a sense that I could be praying for you this week. Is there anything that I can pray for? It can just be inviting somebody to church. Say, hey, you know, my faith is important to me. If you've ever wondered about Christianity or the Bible, I'd, I'd love for you to come along and hear. And if that's you this morning, you've been brought to church, say, This is good news. That just means you have somebody in your life that like really cares for you. And the thing, just like when you're really excited about something that's changed your life, you share it. That's what they're doing. They're really excited about the truth of who Jesus is. And they want to share it with you because they really, really, really care for you. You've got a friend. And that we as community groups especially would, would share our faith, but also look for good to do in our city. That we would take advantage of those things that we call pushback darkness grants, funds set aside just to do good. My prayer is that we would scheme and plan and look as groups to just do good in our city and bless people in need, whatever that looks like. So let's stand together and pray that that would be more and more a reality in our life this year.